Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My friends in Christ, I don't know how many of you remember or even saw the 1986 movie Top Gun, but there's a great scene early in the film. They're in the locker room shortly after their first hop, and Maverick, the protagonist of the movie, has just been berated by one of the instructors, and Iceman, the protagonist's foil, walks over and says, Maverick, it's not your flying, it's your attitude. The enemy's dangerous, but you're, right now, you're worse than the enemy. You're dangerous and foolish. You may not like the guys you're flying with. They may not like you, but whose side are you on? It's a crossed up or a crossways relationship between Maverick and the rest of Fighter Town USA, as the label on the hangar declares it to be. And we all know about relationships that go sideways, misunderstandings lead to anger. Misconnections result in resentment. Mistakes precipitate open conflict. And our text this morning offers a great example of just exactly that. John comes up to Jesus, he's all concerned. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. The disciples and the exorcist are crossways, at odds with each other. The exorcist, because, well, he's doing his own thing. And the disciples, because they wanted to find, they think they should define the terms of discipleship. In the very next chapter, after Jesus' famous camel in the eye of the needle discussion, you remember that, about entering into the kingdom of heaven? Peter pipes up, Behold, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. Right? This is the requirement, right? No. But back to the sex. Not only the disciples and the exorcists are at odd, but Jesus and the disciples are crossways with each other. Jesus seems to open the door to outsiders, right? Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon thereafterwards to speak evil of me. But the disciples, no, we want to close the door. We want to close the door by copyright. You don't have the club membership. Where's your ID card? We want to write the rules, not Jesus. Our church can sometimes fall victim to the same kind of an attitude, creating crossways relationships with, that hinders and don't help. CFW Walter, our first synodical president, can be quoted speaking in very exclusive terms at conventions in the mid-19th century. Putting the best construction on his words, though, what I hear him talking about is a celebration of the Bible as the sole source and norm for all doctrine, and the Lutheran Confessions as a faithful acquisition thereof. But it's a delicate line. Delicate line between two errors, two ditches, as Luther famously calls them. In our Bible class last week, we heard uh, an essay by Jean Edward Vieth talking about how, how Lutherans are often attacked from all sides. The Catholics attack us because we're Protestant, and the Protestants, the Catholic, attack us because we're too Catholic. The Calvinists, because we're Arminian, and the Arminians, because we're Calvinist, and the Charismatics, because we're just simply dead. Vieth writes, part of the unattractiveness of Lutheranism for some people is its theological combativeness. But it isn't that Lutherans have the only truth, though some seem to act that way. But the Lutheran synthesis depends on a delicate balance that must be defended at every point, those two ditches. Truth matters. 
theology matters. But sometimes it gets us crosswise in our relationships. But we need to expand the discussion from the church to the community, to our interpersonal relationships, both inside and outside the church. How many friendships have faltered? How many companions have cut ties? How many? How often, simply because we got crossways with each other, and often over a rather inconsequential point. I'd rather not talk in generalities here, and so I, I, instead I invite you to reflect on your own former companions, emphasis on former, that you've gotten sideways with, as I tell you about Oleg. Oleg and I were friends back in junior high. We were both new kids to the school, new kids to this student body. We were both a little bit of the odd duck, so it kind of fit together really well. And lunchtime was a really important time for our friendship. One day, I was late. I mean, I had a good reason. Ben was immediately before our lunchtime, and Oleg didn't play an instrument, so he wasn't privy to what was going on. That's why he didn't know that I was getting help from the band director re-stringing the school's bass violin. And lunch was half over by the time I got done and headed for the gym and the lunchroom. Well, Oleg was finished. And he was upset, and he took a poke at me. It was totally out of the blue, from my perspective. I'd gotten our relationship crosswise without a word, without meaning to do it, without even knowing it. And we never really did get over that. It doesn't take much. An ill-considered word, a missed connection, just a touch of envy in relationships get crossed up. And from the community to the home, God's most important building block for society. Luther used the expression curved in on oneself to describe our sinful human condition. Husbands curves in on himself by overemphasizing his role as breadwinner. Suddenly, his time at home comes to be his time off. It's vacation, a time to be served, right? To be entitled. A wife curves in on herself, feeling overburdened by the day-to-day -day challenges of keeping up a household. In time, she begins to her view their vacation as a sentence. She chafes under the task at hands. And children, children curve in on themselves, insisting on my time, my space, my screens. Home can be a very crossed-up place when you're looking in and not looking out. So how do we gain proper vision? How do we uncross those crosswise relationships? Where do we turn? Actually, St. John ran over the solution to the problem looking for the problem. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Jesus picks up on that note and focuses our attention on it. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak ill of me. By this authority, in Jesus' name. John doesn't need to defend that name. Recall the great Christological hymn from Philippians 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. That name is the charge that was actually nailed to the cross, right? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the Pharisees chafed, but Pilate was God's faithful prophet. What I have written, I have written. Under that charge, Jesus carried every crossways, crossed up sin we ever committed. Every sin of fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, every sin of children and friends, and feuding church bodies, and club-only discipleship. He carried them in his person. He carried them to that cross. He paid their wages, really the price their guilt demanded, as Paul says in Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. He died. And they took down his lifeless body, and they laid it in a borrowed tomb. But Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea laid to rest Jesus' body, but there was more. There, in him, lay your sin and my sin, dead. And on the third day, when Jesus passed through the stone that sealed the door to that tomb, that sin remained there, dead. You are uncrossed. Or rather, the guilt of your crossed up and crossways relationships has been and is forgiven. Jesus paid the price so that your crossways relationships can become cross relationships. Relationships founded in and built on the cross of Christ. Moving from those first two opening verses into the rest of Mark 9, 40 to 50, Jesus uses some pretty dramatic language, doesn't he? Pretty dramatic language until you realize what he's talking about is cross relationships. Hang a millstone around the neck of your curved-in family relationships. Right? Drown the old Adam that causes clamors for attention. Husbands, your wife and your family are your higher vocation, not the daily grind for mammon. Wives, your daily tasks are more pleasing to God than a thousand viewed by the world. And children, remember the fourth commandment. It's the only one with a promise, right? Paul reminds us that it may go well with you and you may live long in the earth. All of us need to daily drown the old Adam and daily emerge as baptized children of God in service to each other. Cut off a hand? A foot? No! Cut off the misunderstandings and ill-considered words of your crossed-up relationship. Throw them away! Be crippled and maimed if you must. The sad reality is, our crossed-up relationships is that we are already crippled and maimed by them. Living together, under the cross, Striving to make them cross relationships brings healing. Forgiving as we have been forgiven brings healing. Pluck out an eye? No! Pluck out the sinful self-centeredness that blinds us. Look upon every person as someone so precious that Jesus died for that person. They are all candidates for the washing of baptism to be heirs of eternal inheritance. Consign the exclusively crossways lines that would draw boxes around the kingdom of God. Consign them to the trash heap. The word in our text the three times is Gehenna, which is literally the trash heap outside of the city of Jerusalem. In Jesus' language, in our translation, it becomes the code name for hell, but throw them out. Throw them out forever. Instead, look to the one who descended into hell for every man, every woman, and every child. 
Salt and peace are the gospel gifts that Jesus ends, leaves us with at the end of the text. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Salt has at least two purposes here. First of all, to season. Jesus invites us to be flavorful, to celebrate the variety and vitality of the diverse community which is the body of Christ. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist puts it. And second, salt is also a preservative. So we are to be salt in the name of Jesus. As Paul quotes the pagan poets at Athens, in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offering. And finally, be at peace from the inside out. My part in these crossed up relationships, now cross relationships, they're all forgiven. Those of my neighbor, I actually seek to cover up. In his large catechism, Luther concludes his discussion of the Eighth Commandment this way. In our relationships with one another, all of us should veil whatever is dishonorable and weak in our neighbors, and do whatever we can to serve, assist, and promote their good name. On the other hand, we should prevent everything that may contribute to their disgrace. Why? Because Jesus' cross has straightened out our crossed-up relationships. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.